Today's scripture reading comes from Romans 12, 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will keep burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of the Lord. Maybe seated. Welcome to Grace and Peace. My name is Vincent Hoppe. I'm the pastor here. If I have not met you, I would like to meet you. Please be uh, sure to come and see me. Later today at my house, there is a membership meeting for those who are more curious about kind of what does it mean to be committed to a local body and a local church. And so come meet me afterward. I will give you my address and we can eat sandwiches together. It's a party. Hopefully my golden retriever will not ambush you. But I'm about to start a sermon series next week for five weeks on politics, which could be troublesome because we will hear about politics for the next six weeks at least ad nauseum. Every one of your YouTube videos is uh, disturbed by the face of, at least mine is always, Stacey Abrams popping up and asking for money for the Democratic National Convention. And so that's who I get on my YouTube feed. But we're going to be talking about that, so we need to set the table. And what I want you to do to start set the table and for us to start kind of leaning in, we need to start asking questions about what type of people we are to be in the world. So I want you to imagine that you come home. And as you come home, you walk in and you notice that one of your friends is standing there. Of course, they are eating your Reese's peanut, uh, peanut butter cups that you have left out on the counter. And so you're thinking in your mind, one, how dare you? And then for the second thing, you wonder, why are you here? And they respond back, hey, what's up? I, um, well, uh, I was here, I'm enjoying some of your candy, and, uh, a bill came for you, but it's okay, I paid for your bill. And so we have a number of responses that can come up, but what conditions our response, right? We need to know how much was that debt, and how much did they pay, okay? And so, if it was like $2.50, like I owed like a toll for driving someone to Denver or something like that, and when I got on 470, they'd be like, oh, you know, you'd probably say, yeah, thanks, man, cool, whatever. But if the bill was like $20,000 or a million dollars, 
you'd be like, why would you do that? Like, you would feel that you are completely indebted to this person. And what the author, what the Apostle Paul has been doing for 11 chapters is to show in great detail how God has gifted you by paying the debt that you owed. Primarily the debt that we owed to sin and death. That we owed it with our very lives, but he paid it with himself, his own son, the maker of heaven and earth. Paid for your debt. And so we say things that grace and peace, what are you worth? We say that you're worth dying for. You are loved. And we know that from the cross. And so Paul has spent 11 chapters doing this. And this is the root, the beginning, the basic message of the gospel, the good news from which he says, this is the good news, it is the power of God, it is the power of God for salvation or into salvation. And he says he's not ashamed of it. And then he ends his 11th chapter by saying, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. It means that Jesus is the embodiment of this good news. He's the rescue in the flesh. He's the new creation in person. He's the salvation of God made touchable. He's the gift of God's steadfast love and loyalty to the promises he has made to his people. Paul says in Romans 3.23, For all have sinned. That's you and me, every human person who has drawn breath ever or has been conceived, have fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by His grace as a gift. Not something we earn. Freely as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. In the Roman world, gift-giving was expected to be uh, responded to in kind. It meant that you have been redeemed, but we ask the question, then what are we redeemed for? In Reformed Presbyterian circles, we like to say, you're predestined and chosen. And because I'm a jerk, 90% of times people are like, you know, we're, we're possessing and chosen to enjoy God and glorify Him forever. And I go, yeah, how do you do that, bro? To which they say, I don't know. Well, Paul, here in chapter 12, says this is how we do it. This is how we do it. So for 11 chapters, he talked about the root, the basic message of the gospel as it unfolds from creation to redemption in the person of Jesus Christ. And then, what does he do in chapter 12? He says, this is your spiritual act of worship. He says, therefore, offer yourself as living sacrifices, which is wild and weird. And so what does that look like to live, your, live as, you know, offer yourself as living sacrifices? We read it. This is how you do it. And so, we're to know that kingdom living is one of sacrifice and service. That this is the highway of God's way of doing things. How does He bring redemption into the world? How are we to live on mission? It is basic loving your neighbor and loving God in the midst of opposition. 
And it is easy for you and I to fall off into two ditches. On one ditch is the idea that we can have a kingdom without the king. Someone to execute justice and to have laws. We want his stuff, but we don't really want him. And on this side, we have the ditch of having a king, but no kingdom. And so down the center, Paul is saying, this is the life you're to live. This is how you're to be in the world. Living life with king and kingdom together is a life of service and sacrifice. And so, we need to be suspicious of living for a kingdom without a king or living for a king without a kingdom. Paul lays out what this living is like. In the view of God's grace, His mercy, which is basically the root of the Christian story, this is to be the fruit of your life. Get it backwards and you have something messed up. Kingdom without a king is having all the fruits of the kingdom, but without any of the roots. It is as if you have gone into Star Trek The Next Generation, and you went to the food replicator that was in the corner of the room, and you asked for a fruit bowl, and it came out, and it gave you the Christian fruit. You're like, this is all I want. And it's like magic, it just kind of pops out. If you watch Star Trek The Next Generation, you would know, you'd be a nerd like me, it'd be cool, we'd hang out and have some good discussions of why Captain Jean-Luc Picard is the coolest captain of all time. But no. Anyway. And so it is the life of having all the fruits but not really focused on the root. It is having the things and the good things of God's kingdom without having the actual king. Let me put it another way. It is trying to have tolerance and unity. It is the trying to have uh, you know, uh, beautiful roads and loving one another and the sacrifice for one another without actually still having God's sexual ethics, the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. It's like getting rid of all the things that could possibly be offensive for the sake, for the sake of the living in harmony. And instead of actually having fruit, do you know what you have? You have what you have, what you get in Hobby Lobby when you walk out there and one of my children walks by and looks at the grapes and tries to eat the plastic grapes. Okay, it's fake. It doesn't work that way. If you have no root, you ain't going to get the right fruit. Okay? And oftentimes... It rubs people the wrong way when you start to talk about Jesus as the only way. In our day and age, we're really cool with the fruit of Christianity, but not so much the root. The modern secular person is not so much concerned about the doctrine of Christianity. And most of us actually live in contra- with multiple contradictions in our head. I would actually say that Generation uh, Z, which are kind of the youngest, and I would also say millennials, their approach to spirituality is one akin to going to the taco stand. Okay, it's like our favorite food, if you ask them, like, what's your favorite food? Like, tacos. Um, and why do I say this? When it comes to spirituality, why is it like tacos? Is because tacos are completely customizable. Think about it. Do you want a flour tortilla? Or a corn tortilla? Or a blue corn tortilla? Or maybe some sort of, like, sprouted grain wrap? 
or something like that that you can get. Do you want carnitas, carne asada, al pastor, or like Taco Bell, like magic meat? I don't know what it is. It comes in a cock gun, but it tastes good. Okay? The first time I saw it come out of a cock gun, I was a little freaked out. But anyway, I ate it anyway. You see, we want this customizable faith. We like to take what is good, and then we're like, uh, cilantro tastes like soap. So, no. I like cilantro, by the way. Um, spicy jalapenos, no. And so we kind of put that stuff to the side. In our spirituality, we get the kind of taco that we want. And that's the way we want it. Instead of actually, like, like thinking about this and sitting down maybe with some people who uh, disagree with us, and so this fake fruit, what is it, how does it show itself? The fake fruit is exposed whenever you run into someone who might actually have a different type of taco experience than you. You're like, my taco is better. Because now you're trying to universalize your experience to somebody else. You're saying this is a true spirituality. And so what happens is you start to feel defensive, insecure, you start to wonder, you start to push back on the other side. And oftentimes, the way this uh, approaches itself, the fake fruit, this is how it goes. You're insecure about your standing in Christianity, or you're standing in the Republican Party, you're standing in the Democratic Party, and so what do you do? You start to say, true Christianity is this. This is true Christianity. If you don't do this, if you don't help out with the poor, if you don't spend as much time in a foreign country helping these little kids as I do, as I have posted on my social media, you might not be a true Christian. You see why that's problematic. You know what you're doing is you're just trying to build up your own righteousness. It is trying to have the fruit without the root. If your root is that you are righteous before God because of Jesus Christ, then the fruit should follow. Instead, what we want is Hobby Lobby grace, rather than fruit that is for all people. And so that is the idea of a kingdom without a king. And so these defense mechanisms, it also comes out as we try to, like, plead, we're people-pleasing. We feel kind of upset at ourselves when we go home. We're always questioning about, like, all the disagreements that we've ever had. We're like, well, why would I say this? Why couldn't I have said this? You know, this person would be a much better person if they thought this way. And so we create this us versus them. And what we've done is we've fallen off into the ditch. A litmus test of works rather than on the root. And so what we do is oftentimes if we want a kingdom without a king, we're easily persuaded to change. We bend and we accommodate. We play the game of the current regime in power, the game of tribalism. It is one that is divisive and easily looks down on those who don't care for the poor or active in community, or we look down on those who don't uh, share my conservative political uh, uh, views. Numerous times you will hear you can't be a true Christian unless you vote Republican. You can't be a true Christian unless you see the virtues of the Democratic Party, so on and so forth. 
And so what instead God's Word is trying to get us to do is in, in, that He was trying to tell us in Romans 12 is that this true way is one of unity, one of humility, and of kindness. And through this, we will see true racial and ethnic unity, one that will learn and listen first, that will realize that we don't have it all together, that even with those who disagree with us, we can have unity. It means that we can sit at the table across from somebody without throwing up a little bit in our mouths when we hear their disagreements with us. It means that we can have unity beyond political affiliation. It means that here at this table, we can eat Democrat and Republican because we partake of the same bread, the same body, the same blood, the same gospel, the true root of spirituality in the person of Jesus Christ. And we, this way, we realize that we don't have all the answers. We don't have it all together. And we can humbly look at other people in the eyes and say, maybe they've got something to offer me. Because when we realize that we haven't lifted a finger to save ourselves, we haven't done anything to win over God for ourselves, but God must come down for us, then we can't look down our noses at everybody else waiting for them to get on our level, to think like I do, or to be like me. And so what do we need to do? We need to grow in our understanding, in our roots, in the gospel, knowing it is by God's grace alone that we are saved. And so how do we do this? How do we grow deeper here at Grace and Peace? Join a city group. Meet someone who's a city group leader. Say, what's up? How do I get to your city group? We need to also develop ourselves by joining things like cohort groups. There is one where we're talking about uh, uh, diversity in mission. We're meeting at the Wild Goose at 6.30. Buy your own uh, drink. Come hang out and we're learning. We also develop ourselves by having good reading, listening to good podcasts, or listening to the Dwell app, where you can have someone with an English accent read to you over and over and over the same scriptures so that we can get into our head what is true. Because what's going to happen during this political time is you are going to be discipled. And in this discipleship, you will either be discipled one, on one side by Fox News or by the Huffington Post on the other side. And what I'm recommending, what I'm saying is, is that you need to get God's Word at your heart in this political time. We need to have God's Word in our heart. I don't care if it's Morgan Freeman reading the Word of God to you, or if it's Benedict Cumberbatch or Kira Knightley, just listen to the Word of God. Okay? And that should guide the way you view politics for the next six weeks more than Rush Limbaugh or more than... Uh, oh, man, goodness gracious. Wolf Blitzer, I guess. I, you know, someone on, it's someone else. And so someone on CNN will go with that. But we need to be able to have these voices speak in our head, and it needs to be God's Word. We need to live lives with king and kingdom, not a kingdom without a king. And so we listen to the Lord. But there's also the other bit, a king without a kingdom. 
I used to live in a small town in New Mexico where out in the shade, there was this giant shade tree, beautiful emerald green leaves. It was ginormous. I used to run up to it and hug it. And I was like, I love you, tree. And it was like, like it's my friend, okay? But after a while, like, it took three of us kids to get our arms around it, and it was beautiful. It gave us shade, you know, in the New Mexico desert. You know, it, it is wonderful. But I came to find out that it was cultivated, and it was a, a uh, fruitless mulberry. A fruitless mulberry. So you see what was happening is there was all the good appearances of being a great tree, but had absolutely none of the fruit. No one wanted the fruit, so there was no multiplication. There was no, actually, you can't actually eat off of it. So the tree was good for shade and was good for appearances, but had no fruit. For many people, the fruit would have been, like, annoying anyway, because it would have switched under your feet. And so, this way uh, is kind of the way that many people have been rejected. You see, many of us millennials and and uh, Generation Z people have been living lives looking for the kingdom, actually trying to find the fruit. And instead, we sometimes we reject having the king. And the opposite way for many generations is they push back against things like uh, the social gospel theory of Walter Rousing Bush and liberalism as it swept through and uh, our, our uh, seminaries and different things like that. Many people pushed through, and what we ended up having, though, in response was a tree that was cultivated to bore no fruit. We ended up with a king and no kingdom. No fruit. And so we were really kind of thick-headed, and we got a lot of knowledge. And so basically we became a giant-headed alien with an emaciated body. So we taught a lot about orthodoxy. We taught a lot about systematic theology. We made litmus tests about your ability to pass an ordination exam, knowing the tenets of Reformed theology, reading systematic theology. But that isn't the true test of faith. Paul says it's this. Rooted in the true, the good, true good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, who has saved you, you then live as this is your spiritual act of worship. Live this way, bearing fruit. And what is this? Not looking at your enemies and saying, mm, "Yes, he doesn't baptize babies, or he baptizes babies, or like weird things like like." Uh, Man, what other other weird ones? Like the type of bread that people use in the Lord's Supper, or uh, whether or not they use wine, or, or different things like that. And they make those people their enemies. And then more than that, then we also see that we've conflated things like conservative politics into a test for orthodoxy. You can hear this even on the news, uh, or even, even out on the, you know, like on YouTube tonight. Look it up. The people will say that the only Christian way to vote will be to vote Republican. So what we've done then is we've baptized one side over the other. And that's unfortunate. And so what he's trying to say now is like, don't go that way. Don't make enemies, but rather love your enemies. 
seek to bless them, feed them, give them something to drink. Paul says, for by grace, for the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more humbly as you ought to think of yourself, but with sober judgment. In light of the root, this is the true fruit. Maybe we can learn something from Kendrick Lamar when he says, be humble, don't look up the rest of the song. Okay? And so, what Paul is attacking is the type of religion or, or faith that James seems to have in his crosshairs in his book. A life that is only talk and only religious pandering, which is only being able to pass a test if you are given it, given it to you by multiple choice. James says religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their afflictions and to keep oneself, oneself unstained from the world. Or, as a body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. It does not mean that you are saved by what you do, but rather that the saved person, rooted in the person of Jesus Christ, knowing that they are righteous and accepted by God because of Jesus, will bear fruit. Will bear fruit. And unfortunately, many of us act like a cultivated mulberry tree. We look good. We can play the part. But we bear little fruit. And what Paul says is this is the way. The faithful Christian life isn't just one of study and discipleship of the brain, but rather it is the transformation of the whole mind, as he says in Romans 12, 2. It is one that doesn't live in the never-ending cycle of tit-for-tat on Twitter, but rather, or one that will mute, block, and defriend everyone who disagrees with you. Rather, it is lived in a humble life, knowing that we don't get it all up here. It is not lived in a life that avoids the unrighteous, the liberal, the conservative, the Fox News watcher, the CNN watcher, but rather seeks their good by continual service and sacrifice of our liberty for the sake of the other person because we believe that the Lord God has given up all His rights and glory and died a shameful death so that we could have His glory. One done, it is not one that is done through going out amongst those and scolding them but one that is done by going out and loving them. Even though they will hate your religious views, you will disagree with them, you will not like the way they think, but rather, we love them. After 9-11, one of the things that a lot of people said is, you know what the problem with the world is? Fundamental. You know, fundamentalist. You know, if you weren't so, such a fundamentalist, you'd be okay. Well, sure. I mean, like, if you're fundamental somehow and you, you know, lead you to violence, that, that may be the case for some people. But for, like, uh, someone who's a fundamentalist, uh, pacifist, uh, Bible reader, uh, oftentimes we see them riding around buggies and we call them Amish people. You see, where their fundamentals ended up leading them. So maybe it isn't so much that you're, fundamental, that you're fundamentalist, but it depends on what you're fundamentalist about. So if you're a fundamentalist about, uh, I don't know, uh, the great God of the universe, 
loved a bunch of rebels and sinners, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If that's your fundamentals, what does that mean? It means that you're free to fundamentally love the other, love the enemy. Here's a challenge for you this week. I want you to love someone of the other political party this week. Some little tangible way. And it could be easy as just listening to their point of view. And just say, instead of saying, why are you so dumb? What you might want to say is, why do you think that way? And just listen. I go, okay. And don't speak back. That could be like a little tiny thing. Just do it at work. One other way that you could do that is you could go serve and care for this city. God didn't abandon it. The city serve is on Saturday. We will go down to the Springs Rescue Mission. And so there you can live out a spirit, the life of spiritual worship by serving. And so I encourage you to do that. And so what does the life of king and kingdom look like? It is a life of a, as a living sacrifice and put into service. And he says, this is what's holy and acceptable. Leviticus 19 says that we are to be holy, and then God says, as I am holy. That means to be distinct from the present way of doing things. If the present way of doing things is to shout at your enemy, make them look like a dummy, and to blast them on social media, then the opposite way of doing things, and the way to be holy is this to refuse to blast other people on social media. And in fact, write maybe something like, hey, I know they don't share my political view, but, you know, they've got a great point here. That would be shocking. Imagine if all Christian people decided that this is the way that they were going to go. That they were going to take the high road instead of living in the ditch. And so, Paul goes on to say in our chapter, these things, this is the way your spiritual worship is to look like, and we read these, love one another. He's principally talking about within the church. Outdo one another in showing honor. He says, do not be slothful. Don't be lazy. Don't quit. In fact, initiate and care for other people. He says, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. If we think we got it bad now, that this world is, you know, the tribulation, I think you need to turn off your social media accounts and also stop listening to the news and realize it isn't that bad. Because in first century Rome, uh, a bunch of people who would have uh, been Christians would have been hunted down, not just by Romans who wanted to insist that Caesar is Lord and that you must confess and that every time you say Jesus is Lord, you are pushing the buttons of everybody and they would want to kill you. And whenever you said Jesus is Lord as well, a bunch of Jewish people were like, what is wrong with you? And how do we know that Jewish people wanted to kill a bunch of Christians? Because Paul was once a Jewish man who was seeking to kill a bunch of Christians, and now he is writing this, be patient in tribulation. For real? Love your enemies too? Or what, what, what kind of madness is this? He says, be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. That this is a life we're supposed to live amongst each other. Open our homes and care for one another. 
Listen to people. Love them. Realize you ain't got it all together, and you ain't that smart. And maybe the person next to you has something good to say and share and contribute to the life of this world. And then it also then goes to the outsiders. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. Seek their wholeness, their goodness, their flourishing. Even though they might knife you. Man, Paul is whack. He doesn't say kick those who persecute you, elbow drop them, blast them on Twitter. He doesn't say make them look like an idiot on Facebook. No, he says bless those who persecute you. Man, what's wrong with him? And then he says rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Don't be wise in your own eyes. It means lean not on your own understanding. It means say, how do, this, you need to be wise in this time. It means you ain't that smart. It means retain no one, he says then, retain no one evil for evil. Give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. Honorable in the sight of all. You want to, want to know what was the one most difficult thing for me to do? Make decisions on mask wearing, social distancing, when it came to church services. And this is one of the things that I had to think about. Do what is honorable. Live peaceably with all. I had to think about this. And so I had to say, we could give up my rights and preferences for the sake of the other. So that we don't look like we're thumbing our nose at everybody else. We can wear masks, I said. He says, never avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. If your enemy is hungry, ignore him. No, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What does this mean? It means that those who persecute you and those who are against you, if you are kind to them, they will be judged with the judgment by which they are judging you. Why? Because God will visit Injustice. And he says, Vengeance is mine. And so Paul concludes, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Do not give in to living in the ditch of this world, either on that side or on that side, but live and honor Christ as King by sacrificing and serving even those who will hate you. And so this is a life that is lived in tension. Jesus is king, but the kingdom is not yet. We rejoice because this world is, is good. There's good things about it. Rejoice in the good news of a friend who has a child. In the good news when a friend gets a new job, rejoice in the good things, but also realize that it isn't meant, that this isn't the way it was meant to be. We can weep with those who weep. And so we don't double down on the way of this world on one side or the other. And so we can live in faith and not fear, 
And the way that we do that is not arguing about mask wearing, social distancing, about the upcoming election. The way that we do that is loving those who will disagree with you. We will find in this way that we're not at home at this world, but also that we're not to abandon it. We will find out that there is much to affirm about the other side and much to critique. We will look ourselves in the mirror and realize that there is much to affirm about ourselves and much to critique. Because the gospel affirms and critiques all cultures, all time periods, all persons. So what do we do? Well, you become what you worship. And so we need to see Jesus as the one who shows true empathy. We see that Jesus is the true other coming to live life with those who are rebels. We see that Him actually care and pick up our burdens. We see Him as the one who acted in humility, who did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied Himself and made Himself a servant. We see that we are also to be people of sacrifice. Jesus says no, no love is greater than this, than to lay his life down for his friends. That we are to be people of service. That service is not that Jesus says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And when we take ourselves and root ourselves in the truth that Jesus Christ has done this for us, then we can be people who overcome evil, not with evil, but with good. And so what's the power to live this way even in the face of adversity? Paul took 11 chapters to tell his audience that Jesus was the one turned over to the true enemies of sin and death. That it wasn't the state. It wasn't the person across the table from you. It isn't the person across the political aisle. It isn't the person sitting at the wild goose reading some ridiculous critical race theory book. But rather, the real enemy is sin and death. And he, Jesus Christ, was the one who paid for it by giving himself up over to it. And that he was the one who paid for evil by his goodness, and therefore we have his goodness. That he was the one who did, who was held in shame for all to see, so that he may take our shame and we may stand in honor. That he is the one who took the wrath of God that was against sin. It came upon him that we may live at peace and in truth alone with our Lord God. And that when he thirsts, he thirsts on the cross was the cosmic thirst that we all deserve. And when he was given the bitter vinegar wine, we are the ones who are given the true fruitful wine of gladness. He got what we really deserve, death, so that we might have life. And we live this life out by loving and caring for others. We are people who image Him like angled mirrors into the world by sacrificing and serving others as He sacrificed and served us. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious God, meet us now that we may be transformed by Your words. 